Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Hello, my friends. I am so excited to bring this episode to you today. I had the privilege of sitting down with Julie Bennett, the author of The Phoenix Man. Julie lives in Santa Rosa, California, and was her husband's caregiver for 12 years. They navigated pretty much all the things. Uh, It started with a heart condition that evolved to a heart transplant, and he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease prior to passing away. So she is just the loveliest woman. And I came across Julie because she lives in Santa Rosa, which is the same city that my dad and stepmom live in. He was reading the paper and there was an article about her and her new book in the paper. He mailed me the article. I contacted the author of the article and she immediately connected me with Julie. So I'm very, very grateful to um, the Press Democrat and Meg for making that connection for us. Anyway, here is Julie. Enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Well, hello, author Julie Bennett. Hi there, Michelle. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing good today. How about you? I'm glad today is a good day. Today is a good day for me as well. Good. Um, I am so excited to have a chance to sit down with you and just learn about your caregiver journey and your book and pick your brain a little bit about, um, I don't know, just what, what you wish you knew and what you think other people should know. And I know all of that goodness is in your book, which I had not had a chance to read yet because I just learned about you last week. Um, my dad lives in Santa Rosa and sent me the newspaper article Wow! <laughs> <laughs> that uh, features you. And um, so anyway, we're just going to talk and I'm okay. really pleased that you're with me. So thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, do you want to give us just a little bit of background, which I know it's a, a 12 year time Mm-hmm. span, um, just about what your caregiver journey looked like. Sure. So it started, my husband had a heart uh, condition and he never had any symptoms until 2005. And at that point he was, he, uh, they put a defibrillator in so that if he, if anything happened, it would shock his heart. Mm. So nothing happened for two years. And then in 2007, we were coming out of Target in Santa Rosa and walking. And 
I could feel him behind me, but he grabbed onto a truck and he started falling to the ground. And I thought he had died, but um, the defibrillator shocked him. And from that moment on, you know, after going to the emergency room and, and all of that, he just got progressively worse. And so from March, when this happened till uh, September 3rd, he, he was expected, he didn't have much time left, but we were trying to get him set up for a heart transplant. And thank goodness mm -hmm. we did. He had the heart transplant on September 3rd. And we had to live in San Francisco for 30 days while doing tests and all of that. Went home, thought everything was going to be hunky-dory. And, and then in the end of November, he, <clears throat> he ended up with pneumonia. Mm -hmm. and, and the doctors thought it would be a simple one, but it wasn't. It was aspergillus pneumonia, and that should have killed him. And that did not. He had such a strong um, will to live. And I'm so thankful because I had another 12 years with him. Mm -hmm. So after he went through that, which was 107 days in the hospital oh and uh, driving back and forth to San Francisco for me to you know, keep, keep giving him support and all of that, uh, he came home and then it was back to work for me and um, he was trying to figure out what is he going to do while now that he's, he's retired because of a disability. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> he seemed, you know, he, he his body never got no back to normal after the pneumonia because it was such a horrible disease and it took such a toll on his body. And then with the heart transplant. So, um, but he was doing okay. You know, he was able to drive, get around and everything. And then in, um, I'd say around 2013, 14, we started noticing some memory issues, not knowing anything about dementia or anything. We, this was all brand new. And so, um, in 2015, we finally got the diagnosis that it was Alzheimer's. And we were, of course, devastated because after everything he'd already been through to have that diagnosis, you know, right. it was just horrible. So brand new thing for both of us, what do we do? And, um, you know, from there we got the support we needed and I'll let you go ahead and ask your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, for those listening, um, I'm from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And so I know when you say you were commuting between Santa Rosa and San Francisco, like, I know what that really means. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's hours mm -hmm. on the road, mm -hmm. both directions. So it mm -hmm. sounds like you were, you took like a leave from work. I. Uh, Yes, I didn't when before he had the transplant and was just taking vacation time and and sick time and probably ran out of all of that, mm -hmm. but um, to get through that part of it. But when he went in for the aspergillus pneumonia, I did. I um, I actually went and um, talked to my doctor about applying for a stress um, disability. Okay, and was able to get that in order to you know, just not work while I could, 
you know, drive and be with him. And then as soon as he came home, mm-hmm. it ended. And when I went back to work, luckily my employer was good enough, I should say, to keep me on. And um, the my colleagues all kind of filled in where, you know, for what I, for my job. So I was able to come back and go right back to work, which is really, thank, you know, I was really thankful about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I think that's one of the biggest issues that people have mm-hmm. um, are trying to balance everything and navigate mm-hmm. everything. And you are just reading the article. I feel like you're one of the most resourceful people wow. I've ever heard of. <laughs> Wow, thank you. <laughs> and I've worked in senior living for over seven years and I've been a caregiver for 10 years. And I just, I mean, I think that's something that's really struck me. I mean, about you is that you're like looking around, okay, what are my options? Mm-hmm. Um, and and how do I implement them? And, and what, um, this one moment, I was driving home from San Francisco and I was crying and I was thinking, I can't do this. What do I do? And so I was having this talk, self-talk. And I, so I said to myself, okay, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? And I didn't even have to think about it. I would drive back and forth to be with Scott. Mm -hmm. And once I knew that, then I thought, okay, then you now you need to figure out how are you gonna make this work commuting back and forth to San Francisco? And I realized the first thing is don't drive during, during the commute hour. <laughs> so right. I, I changed my, you know, I made sure that when I drove down, it was after the commute hour. And when I went home, it was after the rush home too. So wow. that helped immensely. And then, um, you know, just figuring out like listening to a couple books on on the um, on the drive down and mm-hmm. or radio stations. You know, just making sure I was engaged with something. So right. yeah, that's, helped immensely. That's super impressive. Did did you was there a point at which you were like, oh wait, I'm a caregiver now? Like, because we just operate in the roles that yes. we start with, right? Yes spouse, daughter, granddaughter, mm-hmm. was there a point at which you were like, oh, wait, some, this is different? I think it came pretty early because, you know, Scott can do stuff for himself, especially with the, um, while he was waiting in the hospital for the mm-hmm. transplant and everything. And I think because of the way that caregivers are kind of ignored, I didn't really maybe got that the term caregiver was what I was doing, mm-hmm. but I did feel like I wasn't that important in Scott's, you know, recovery and everything. And so I guess I tried to make sure that they knew I was there and I was like the most important person in his journey, you know, in him getting well helped me to, um, Maybe I mean I I don't know if I help yeah. with some with the staff and everything, but um, you know I was I was never um, 
pushy or anything like that, that I, I believe, <laughs> but, but I did take on the role and I, you know, was there to support him any way I could. And when he, when I knew he wanted to live, especially, you know, with the heart transplant, I, there was this one time when, um, oh, I, I know what it was. We were at home. He was, it was a, it was before the transplant, but it was be, uh, in between hospitalizations and our son, Jonathan, came over and um, we were talking about what was happening. And Jonathan said, in fact, we weren't even waiting yet for the transplant. We didn't even think about it. He mm -hmm. goes, well, have you thought about a heart transplant? And we kind of looked at each other. And, I, and I'm thinking, I, I don't think I could handle that. I didn't know what it entailed or anything. And I looked at him and he said, well, if, it'll, if it will keep me alive, that's mm -hmm. what he wanted to do. And I thought, well, if he wants to live, I'll do whatever I need to do to, to help him with that, so. Well, and the, I don't think irony is the right word, but obviously you being by his side, um, feeling ignored a little bit by the staff, you were part of that will to live. Like you were part of that driving force That's for him. True. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a pretty important role. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And, and um, you know, I, I hope with things like your podcast and, and other books that are out there that the caver, caregiver becomes more recognized as really important to this person's, you know, um, what's going to happen with this person. If the caregiver isn't given what the tools that they need, mm -hmm. how can they make sure their loved one is receives the care and support they need. So, right. yeah. Well, and I think that's um, such a beautiful segue into the book and your willingness to share your story. I was, I mean, I don't know if fascinated or delighted is the right word, but you kept all of your email updates to your family. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is, it's probably had a dual purpose. You were kind of journaling mm -hmm. yes, for yourself. Right. And then sharing information. So at what point were you thinking, I think other people should maybe hear about this. And you decided to put it into a book. When I first started writing the emails, um, at night and then sending them to friends and family members so I didn't have to call everybody. Mm -hmm. um, people would write, and I, I kept it as, as light as I could, which wasn't always easy to do, but I also told them what was happening if, if I was frustrated with the system. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and talked about, you know, things that Scott would have said or something and try to keep it light and, and humorous at times if I could. And um, people would write back and say, you should put this in a book. So in the back of my mind, I kind of always had it there. Yeah. But after the aspergillus pneumonia and he came home from the hospital, I didn't have the energy to do anything. So from that point till diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I wasn't really writing much of it or anything. But um, as soon as he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I decided, okay, if I'm going to write a book, you need to start, you know, journaling or, or just writing as whatever you can. 
there were times when I didn't have the energy to continue or to write. So mm -hmm. I would just write little, little notes about what happened to remind myself. And then when I went back to write the book, I could, I had something to start with and I could, right. um, you know, actually remember kind of what, what was going on in my mind and with him that day. So it helped a lot to do that. That's, it's really amazing because I think that one of the things that people that have not been in this role or this world, they don't realize is what's really happening. Like we talk about it, you know, mm -hmm. oh, caregiver burnout. And we talk about dementia mm -hmm. and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people really um, appre understand. No. What's really happening. No. And, you, and you can't, unless you read the book, or my book or other books, but you, unless you're in that position and, and before I was, the, you, you don't know the full in, you know, the exhaustion that you're, mm -hmm. that people go through and just the, your life is not really your life anymore. You're live you're kind of there for that person. And if you're their spouse, you're, you're it's 24 seven. And if it's like, a, say, a daughter with a mother or, or son with a mother or father, you know, it's different. Um, it's different, but you still have all this responsibility besides taking care of your own family and working right. and everything. So, yeah. So how, how did you take care of yourself? How did you take care of yourself? <laughs> I mean, um, when you're feeling that exhaustion and when you are feeling so overwhelmed, because we know that there are cycles to this, like there's a point in when things plateau mm -hmm. and we're like, okay, no sudden movements. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we're okay right now, but then mm -hmm. it kind of hits the fan. And anyway, yeah. so how did, how did you do that? When he was in the hospital at the Aspergillus, one of the nurses told me um, this one day, you know, one, I had been coming for two weeks straight. And she said, why don't you take tomorrow off and do something for yourself? And mm -hmm. I thought about it and I thought, I don't know. I don't, I didn't feel really good about it. But that morning, I, the next morning, I thought maybe I should, you know. And um, so we, I talked to her on the phone. I talked to Scott and he said, you know, he, he was kind of like, well, okay, you know, but the nurse was really pushing me to, you know, take some time for myself. So what I did was I thought, well, what can I do really close by? And if you know our area in Santa Rosa, there's wineries real close to where mm -hmm. we lived. Yeah. And I thought, I am going wine tasting. And as I went, well, and the thing is, is I don't even remember if I even tasted any wine. I just drove around to all the beautiful wineries and, you know, stopped at a few. And I think I bought a sweatshirt for myself and, you know, that just doing that helped me so much to kind of refocus and um, continue on. Yeah, it is a spectacular area. It's like the whole area is like a movie set. It is. <laughs> I love our, I love it. Yes. Yeah. So I know a lot of times um, when we're caught up in that day-to-day -day of the, the grind of caregiving, um, I know I saw in the article that you do meditate. Mm -hmm. And 
So just, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about what that looks like or what your practice looks like. Cause I try and explain to people, it doesn't have to be a big sit down to do, you know, like right. an hour at the monastery. It can literally just be a few minutes here and there. Can you just yeah. elaborate a little bit about what your practice is like? Well, I have to be honest. I don't meditate every day, but, um, but I, I do have, I go to not go, I I'm on zoom for a meditation class. It started out in person, but then COVID hit. So mm-hmm. it all went zoom, mm-hmm. but, um, it's an, you know, it's a class through the JC, our junior college. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's an older adults class and it's free for older adults. And so, uh, it's, there's a group of about in this particular class, I think we average around 15 people and our teacher, or I'm not sure what we could facilitate her. She, mm-hmm. uh, she'll talk about, you know, spiritual things. And then, uh, that'll weave into the meditation. We meditate for about 20 minutes and then we have discussion afterwards. And it's a little different every single uh, week mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful class and it just kind of grounds you you know so for the week as far as meditation I think for me other than that because I must I'm I consider myself spiritual not religious and mm-hmm. I'm constantly talking to God or whoever you you know believe in And I think for me, that's a meditation in itself, you know, just either thanking God or whoever for, for the day, for whatever I've got. And then if there's something I need, then put it out there, you know, and thank, and then say, thank you. And that to me is, I think, sort of a meditation as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of that. It, it's an effort at mindfulness of just taking that moment of mm-hmm. gratitude, mm-hmm. Um, which can also just help recenter you. Cause even when things are really messy, there's something like there's yes. someone maybe that came into the hospital room to take out the trash for them mm-hmm. or um, you know, that nurse that popped in and said, can I get you anything? Yes. Yeah. There's always a little something. There's always someone out there. If you look for it, there are little miracles everywhere and every day. And that happened all the time through all of that, our journey, I felt, you know, didn't matter who it was. There was somebody, if you, if I needed something, there was somebody there to help me get through it. I like to think that was the same for Scott because mm. of course he went through the illnesses and that I couldn't, I cannot even imagine, you know, going through what he went through, but um, maybe I was his little miracle every day. I don't know. <laughs> At least I'm I, sure I want to think I was. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you were. I, that does bring <laughs> up a good point that sometimes when we are, in this position and it's so draining on us mm-hmm. um if you can just have those moments where you're looking at it from their perspective yes um and ha- build that em- bridge of empathy is mm-hmm. what, how i like to think about it yeah. um it's it's hard 
Yeah. And he was able to communicate for a really long time what right. his perspective was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now when he with Alzheimer's, when he when he ended up in the uh nursing home, and I know you haven't read the book, and that's fine, but um he lived in the nursing home for a year and a couple and two months before he passed away. And you know, with Alzheimer's, you can't remember things. And, mm -hmm. and he knew who I was up until I think two months before he passed away. But there were times when he was really mad at me. Mm -hmm. And I know it was because he wanted me to bring him home. And I couldn't, I couldn't do the physical part anymore. But I was there as much as I could in person at the nursing home, you know, that Part, I thought if I can give him that, you know, but because he couldn't remember seeing me say the day before or the, the afternoon, you know, for lunch and I'd come in at dinner time, he just, he, I could tell he thought I had, had abandoned him. And so mm -hmm. when I would remind him, you know, I was here and, and then I would tell, he think none of his friends were coming and he had, he was like the one that got more um, people coming to visit, then that's what the nurses always told us. Right. And um, so I'd remind them and I say, you know, Matthew, your son was here yesterday and, you know, your friends, Bill and Marilyn, they were here and Richard and, and, and then he'd get this big grin on his face, you know, so um, he, he got it for that moment. Mm -hmm. And then I'd leave and it's gone. So it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, that part's really hard. Um, it sounds like the way, even just as you recap the story, that the way you communicated him with him was with a lot of compassion and grace. Um, I, like I know that. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it is hard when mm -hmm. you feel like um, you are personally being attacked or right, have right. hurt someone that you love and. Um, I don't know, what are, do you have any thoughts on how people can navigate those conversations? Because I just remember hearing this one son really upset with his mom and yelling at her and just saying, remember, what's my name, you know, and yeah. it just hurt my heart. So yeah. just in your experience, how did you kind of center yourself? when you're having those conversations? It was, most of the time I could do, I could handle it, mm -hmm. but there was this one time and it's not like I said anything, but one time I, he was um, sitting in the dining room for dinner. This is in the nursing home. And uh, I had, both of us had gotten familiar with a lot of the residents and mm -hmm. we just loved them and they just loved us as a couple individually, you know, so they would be at our table. Mm -hmm. And so this one time I come in and Scott's with, you know, a few of them and I got situated and gave him a little hug behind him, sat down and I said, hi, honey, how are you doing? You know, how are you today? And he's looking straight on and he says, you don't belong to me anymore. You, um, I don't want you here or something like, and it's, it's in, I can't remember the exact words mm -hmm. at this moment, but I was like shocked and my heart just 
hurt. And I said, honey, it's your wife, Julie. I'm just here to help you eat. And Jeannie, one of the residents goes, Scott, that's your wife. She's helped. She needs to come here to help you, you know? And he goes, no, I don't want you here anymore. You're, you're not a part of me, you know? So I ran out crying mm -hmm. and um, found the social worker and we, she kind of talked me down and everything. And then mm -hmm. we went back and he, he, you know, they're um, visual. They, they don't see like me coming in. He, right. he would not have seen me come in, but I came behind him and she came in to talk to him and said, you know, Scott, your wife's here. Do you want her to help you with, uh, with lunch? And he said, he didn't say anything. And she asked again, and he goes, no, you know, so I left. And after I left, I found out that Jeannie um, was crying and told one of the CNAs or nurses, um, Julie's not coming back anymore. And she was just so upset. And, and the nurse, and the person told her, no, Julie already talked to me and she's coming back tonight and, and she'll be coming back, you know, don't mm -hmm. worry about it. So, but um, it was, yeah, it's just, it's a hard thing. And I think for me though, I, I knew in my, um, in my being that, it wasn't Scott. He he thought I abandoned him. I would be upset too if I were in a nursing home and he had left me, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just tell myself that um, this is, you know, if I could take him home, I would have taken him home. I just couldn't. Right. And um, just letting, you know, realizing that this is just the way it is. And this isn't really him talking, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hurt me like that if, if it was a normal situation, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and it's, um, it's the heartache and the gift of their brain resetting. Yes. The, the heartache of course is, you know, where you're not here, where have you been or nobody's come. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the gift is after, a situation like that is there will be a reset. Yes. So then hopefully people can get to a space where they're coming back in um, also reset mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they're not walking in anxious and, and upset. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that the, the man that you mentioned with his mom, Mm -hmm. And he was yelling at her, remember me, you know, yeah. that happened in, in the nursing home where there was one lady who couldn't speak and she couldn't, she had to uh, eat puree food, but her daughter would come in and, and kind of just, she, she didn't get what, she didn't get it. Yeah. And she thought her mom should be able to talk to her. She should be able to eat the food, you know, right. and that's really sad because we have to teach our, or, or not teach, I should um, learn mm -hmm. about the disease so that we can react and be a loving presence for them. And, and it's hard to do, but that's what we as caregivers need to do so that we aren't yelling at them. We, okay. you know, I mean, Hey, I was not perfect. I will <laughs> tell you that. Um, 
but I talked to myself quite a bit if, if I got upset. And usually I would only get set, upset if I didn't get enough sleep. So that was a big thing that I had to work out and make sure I got enough sleep because that's when I would get upset. So Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think just even just reading the article and this brief conversation, just knowing how resourceful you are, it sounds like as things shifted and changed, um, along the journey, you were mm-hmm. able to learn and pivot to mm-hmm. meet Scott with what his needs were. Right. And right. my understanding is at the end of each chapter, you are sharing what you wish you would have known. It, in a sense, yes. And t- it's, it's, I write it, it's a note to caregivers with tips on what to do based on what I just talked about in that chapter for the most part. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, that is huge. Cause people, you know, we just don't know what we don't know. No, it's true. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think that's incredible that you included that as part of your experience and the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, and the thing is, is when when Scott was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Kaiser in our area, they have a, a memory clinic. That memory clinic is so wonderful. It, it's There's a social worker that meets with the caregivers and goes over what is available out there. Mm. I didn't know. And one of the things, one of the organizations was Alzheimer's Association. And mm. that was a godsend because um, for both of us, in the early stages of the disease, the caregiver and the person with the disease um, can go for a support group. And it's at the exact same time, two different facilitators. So he's in his little group and I'm with the caregivers. And I'll tell you for two years, we every week we went to this and we became like a family and we would do things outside of the group, like meet for lunch or go do things and um it was the best part about it was everyone in the group no matter which side you're on knew what was going on with the other people you 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 know what what we're all we're all going through the same thing and so you have that camaraderie and you don't feel like you have to explain what's going on with Scott you know So it was really, that was such a blessing. I mean, if for anyone listening, they need to get support and whether it's Alzheimer's Association, heart disease, they have support groups, diabetes, all of the different, you know, diagnoses out there, there are support groups and you need need to be resourceful and find those in your area. Well, and we do like our world sort of shrinks as the diseases progress and logistics get more and more complicated and it just becomes very easy to shut the world out and stay so singularly focused. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's nice to be in a space where people are speaking the same language, Mm -hmm. so to speak, like using similar terminology or where you can say something like, he urinated in the trash can last night and no mm-hmm. one will be shocked. shocked. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, like, right. You know, it's just, it. <laughs> yeah, it's that safe container. Um, yes. 
that can bring some of that camaraderie and reassurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had pre-sent you questions. Was there anything, because we definitely want to talk about where people can find your book. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or cover? We, we, yeah. Um, one thing to, uh, one question you had was, what are words of encouragement for someone else going through this? And one thing I'd like to say is don't try to do it alone. If you if you do, you it's you're going to get sick yourself and you don't want to do that. You want to be as healthy as you can and you you need the support. Um, and I can't stress that enough. So, you know, there's all all kinds of places, you know, there's the Alzheimer's Association, there's the county, um, our county anyway. Uh, has an aging department. And so, you know, if your income is low, where do you get that support? That's mm -hmm. through the Medicaid program and, and go through your county for that. Um, you know, there's just so much out there. And, and if they did go ahead and get the book, each chapter will kind of go into where you can get the, the support. I try to address it, you know, I, I, I mentioned things in our area, mm -hmm. but also suggest, you know, whatever state you're in, whatever, wherever you live, there's something there. You can go to your doctor, you can go to, I mean, even call a hospital, I mean, nursing home, whatever, but mm -hmm. just make sure you get the, you know, the care that you need. Well, and you applied for grants. I wasn't even aware that those were options available, but so right. you were able to apply for grants so that you could pay for respite care, which is yes. just like a day service program mm -hmm. or maybe overnight if, um, but yeah, so that's brilliant. I believe every city should have an area office on aging. I would hope so. Yeah. And and the grants that I got, the first one was through uh, Redwood Caregiver Resource Center, which is local here. But, you know, somebody just go online, look for caregiving uh, resources in your area. But I got a $1,000 grant and it was three hours a week with a paid caregiver that came in and gave Scott a shower and maybe took him for a walk and that kind of thing. And I could go out and do something that I can't couldn't do with him you know like sometimes going to the grocery store was really hard with him so you know it just made it easier and then uh, Catholic charities which could be nationwide I'm not sure you don't have to be a Catholic you just you know but they had a um, Alzheimer's adult daycare program mm -hmm. and so he went one day a week for that and he ended up loving it they danced they you know they mm -hmm. did crafts and stuff but he really enjoyed being there with other people that were going through the same thing as he was you know it was it was I think it was good for him to be away from yeah. me you know yeah. it gave him some time also to just be with other people so. Well, we're all energetic beings, right? And mm -hmm. so we kind of need that shift in our energy to mm -hmm. be around other people who uh, yes. are just mixing it up a little bit. 
You know, one thing I do want to talk a little bit about before you um, share where to get the book is um, just once Scott passed away and you had been doing this for 12 years, Mm -hmm. which is like an eternity. Mm -hmm. um, And there were so many ups and downs. How did you begin to put the puzzle pieces of your life together no longer in that role and without your husband it was really difficult you know a lot of times people think because you've gone through all this time as the caregiver that maybe you've already done your grieving Mm. and and even before he passed away I used to think to or wonder what am I going to feel like and it was I was surprised at how much grief you go through after they pass away. And so for me, I, I, first thing I did was join the meditation class. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. one. And I joined a Tai Chi class. And then there was this one, um, what was the other, cl- there was one, cl- I was, oh, I, I saw, this is kind of funny. I saw something on, uh, through one of the senior centers and it said how to how to age gayfully so I was thinking yeah so I'm thinking in my head okay so that sounds really good you know like being happy fun that kind of stuff so and joyful and so I signed up and everything and I go to the uh to sign in for the class and I could hear some talk behind me about the LGBTQ, oh. uh, you know, but I still wasn't getting anything. So I'm standing in line, sign in, pay, go upstairs to the class. And I go to into go in and sign in. And um, I even saw the facilitator was someone I knew from when I worked, you know, year, uh, years ago. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's good, you know, but then as I was looking around at all, there were so many people and I thought, this doesn't seem like a, you know, like a gayful, you know, fun. (laughs) I felt like I was like in a dating game or something, you know, like, and so I thought, and then it hit me, it was for LGBTQ people. And I thought, well, that's really cool. I mean, for them, but I know I didn't, I didn't fit in. So I went to turn around and leave and it, there was this long line going out and, and one person said, no, you're in the right class, you know, come back. And I thought, no, I know I'm not, you know? So, yeah. so anyway, that was just, that kind of cracked me up that I didn't get that. But, um, but I, you know, so yeah. the thing is, is go out and find something that makes you feel good makes you joyful and so volunteering I volunteer for the Alzheimer's Association Mm -hmm. um, I'm now facilitating three different groups and it's it's tough because I'm listening to what I've already been through yeah but I also feel like I'm helping the people as they're going through it and so um it it for me that's what helps me too and then um, just getting together with friends, going to lunch, breakfast, whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. walking. I mm-hmm. walk, I, tr- I don't walk every day anymore, but, um, but walking on a trail that's close to where I live and just getting out where, with nature and everything. And, and that's what people need to do. And, and you have to, 
you have to um, deal with your grief. Yeah. Don't think it's, it's just going to go away. It's not. And it just hits you at odd times. Like you might hear a song that you both liked and you just feel, you know, I, I would feel Scott kind of with me and stuff, mm. but you just have to go through it and, and know that it's grief. It's not depression, it's grief and you will get through it. And there's lots of support groups for one-on-one um, -on -one or group grief support through hospice and other agencies. So, you know, find that support for going through grief. That's, that's wonderful. And you're right. It just strikes you at times that can be unexpected. I know uh, my father-in-law said, I don't want everybody to be sad and, mm -hmm. you know, sitting around and not living their life. And my response was, um, you don't get a vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but we are going to miss you. And mm -hmm. Um, we will laugh and we were going to cry and, um, it will just, everybody has uh, their own journey. Yes. <laughs> with yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Well, how do people find your book? Where can we buy it? Uh, it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then the publisher is Balboa press. So it's available through Balboa press. And should I go ahead and if yeah. I hold up the yeah, book. hold it up. So it's the Phoenix Man, mm -hmm. and the the Phoenix Man is who named Scott the Phoenix Man? So that's a good story too. Um, <laughs> so when he was in the hospital for the aspergillus pneumonia, I wasn't getting a lot of answers on how, why did he get it? How do we prevent him from getting this again? Kind of mm. thing. So I ordered books from Amazon uh, from different doctors who wrote about heart transplants and different things. And so one of the stories was uh, one of the doctors was talking about a person who can't seem to get out of, out of ICU, which was Scott at the time. He was in mm -hmm. an intensive care unit and uh, kind of compared it to Sisyphus and okay. the myth mythological uh, being that had to roll the boulder up the hill only to see it roll back down and then you know for eternity he just rolled it up and down and so that's what the doctor this one doctor was referring him to so the next day I went into the hospital and I was talking to Scott's doctor and I said um told him what I read so would Scott be like Sisyphus and he goes no I think Scott would be like the phoenix where he just he's in the, you know, the Phoenix is the bird that's in the fire, mythical mm -hmm. bird. And, but he keeps coming back and he just comes out of the fire and he lives. And for Scott, that's what he was doing. I mean, he just came back and came back and came back. And it was amazing for us to watch how, you know, how he, his will to live was so strong, so. Yeah, so that's why he's called the Phoenix Man. <laughs> Phoenix Man. Well, I love the title and the cover of your book is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, and I'm just so grateful, Julie, that you came on with me today and shared your touching and important story. I just think that is what will connect us as humans taking care of other people is hearing, 
hearing each other's stories and knowing we're not alone. Well, thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate you having me today. It's my pleasure.